Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Sheila. And we're taking you through private eyes. Before we begin this episode, I want to give a shout out to the emergency personnel in Danny Smith's case. They were working under terrible circumstances. The emergency personnel showed up for Danny. On this episode, you will hear Jeff and CJ in their own words with officers on the scenes and in their interviews. Jeff's story changes several times and what he says on the 911 call, what he told to Officer Sartain on the scene, and in his interview with Detective Kathy Kaysen. Does CJ's story match Jeff's? Does Jeff's story match what we see at the crime scene? You've heard them all on prior episodes. Now we are taking each of those stories told by Jeff himself in his own words, breaking up each different story into smaller clips. The back of her head is blown out. Okay. I got fucking blood all over me. Donnie, he said he pulled her out later on the ground like the dispatcher told him to. He's got some blood on his hands if you want to photograph him. You have Officer Sartain at the scene who is saying to the person, Donnie Valerie, to take pictures of his hands because that is where he has blood. Right. But he told the 911 dispatcher that he had blood all over him. And we know from the photos that we've received that the only place there was blood on him was on the palms of his hands. None on his clothing. You know, to like walk into the fucking open the door and shit to get her in. And I heard something sound like a fucking firecracker and I opened the door of the fucking truck and it was like smoky. You know, I, I, I don't know. You don't know what? I don't know what the fuck just happened. Hey, I got out of the truck to go and lock the door at the house. And I heard something that sounded... Okay. Danny shot herself. Danny, the girl laying right there. No, it sounded like a fucking firecracker going off. She was in the in the truck. I got to like going off the door. I'm Officer Sartain with the police department. He's okay. Tell me what's happened. Danny shot herself. Who did? Danny, the girl laying right there. Did you see it or hear it happen? No, it sounded like a fucking firecracker going off. She was in the in the truck. I got to like going off the door. Stand right over here, please. Okay. I was like over here unlocking the door. Who else was here? Just me and her. The ships had that anything? Yeah, we were arguing and stuff. We were drinking. Are you uh, related to her? No, I was like dating her. Okay. Does she live here? No, she lives in Longview. Okay. Well, she's still breathing, but what'd she shoot herself with? That pistol right there? Yes. Was you, but you were inside the house when it happened? I was like over here unlocking the door. Who else was here? Just me and her. Is she upset about anything? Yeah, we were arguing and stuff and really? we've been drinking. Yeah. How long have y'all been here? Just five or ten minutes, enough time to fucking call. Because I, I got see. Morris County first and then I was like, no, I need Cass County. Did they transfer you? Or? Yes. Whose gun is that? That's mine. Did she know it was in there? It was in the center console. And I guess she knew it was there then. Yes, sir. I, I, I don't know. She, we've been arguing. Right. And then come, I come back here to get home. And like I said, it sounded like a 
like some kind of pop going off and I was like what the hell is that and went over to get her out and she's sitting there like that and I was like Danny Danny you know and called 911 and they're all like hey get her out of the truck lay her flat on the ground let her breathe well and some of the audio is doubled just because we do have that same audio on the 911 call as well as Sartain's body cam they kind of intersect because he's still on the phone with 911 or Champion EMS while he's with Sartain. But what's interesting is he tells Sartain, I came back to get her home. And he says, I got out of the truck to unlock the door of the house, which is also what he tells the 911, the dispatcher, I opened the door to get her in. So two times in that first initial instance, he is saying, I was getting out of the truck to open the door. And he also, as Catherine pointed out, is pointing to the house. So he's showing Scott Sartain where he was. So he's given the officer a visual. I also don't think he was expecting Sartain to ask him how long he had been there because it sounds like he's hesitating and says five to 10 minutes enough time for me to call. So he's establishing again, he's trying to convey that the narrative is that he was there and then called. And that's the primary scene. This is Danny Smith, 21-year-old female. They're going together. He said that they just got here and, and he was over at the house. She was sitting in the truck. They both been drinking, he said. He said that uh, they had been arguing. He heard a pop, thought it was a firecracker. He has an XD, Springfield XD 45 in the console. And she's got a contact gunshot one to the side of the head. Come on, man. Danny shot herself. Who did? Danny? Danny Smith? Danny? Yes. Yeah. She's over on the ground. Under Parkhouse? Yes. Accidental? No. She's just a kid. I know. We were like running around and how old is she? Uh, 21. So Jay Cates comes onto the scene. Jay Cates is working for Hugh Springs Police Department as well as the Volunteer Fire Department. He comes onto the scene. Jeff reaches out to hug Jay. Jay is told that it is Danny that is shot. And he says, accidental. And Jeff says, no. How does Jeff know if it's accidental or not? He told you where she shot herself at, right? Yeah. He said he shot, said she shot herself, that's all. They got a call from a forward that's 2994. Yeah? It's his forward. She left out there and shot herself out there, and he drove her here. Well, I didn't know that. Where'd this happen at? I, I think it, at Jamie's. Where's Jamie? down on the other side of Highway 11. I got in the truck, and she was unresponsive. And Oh, she shot herself down there, and you drove her up here? Yeah, I, I took off, yeah. Okay. So it didn't happen here? No, no. Okay. I don't know. Why? why? I was loading my shit up, strapping it down. There were some people out there. Who all was out there? I don't know the people's names. There were... Were you outside of Hugh Springs? Yeah. Are you going to be able to show or tell the deputies where that other scene was, where yeah. it happened? Yes. Yeah, okay. I guess previous to that, the way I realized is I looked down and my pistol was sitting there. 
and she was just kind of laid back. I thought she was passed out to that point because I don't keep her around in the chamber. Well, I got together and we was riding back roads on side by side. Right. We got back to Jamie's house. Everybody's going to bed. Everybody's late. Jeff calls me on the phone and tells me she shot herself. She killed herself. She shot herself. She killed herself. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? He said, just follow me to town. So I followed him to town. And I asked him, I said, what the fuck are you talking about? Killed herself. She shot herself. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, it's fucked up, man. Dude, it's fucked up. She killed herself. And I never got nothing out of them more than that. So I drive. I'm driving this way. And I seen this wrecked out happen to everybody out here. That's all I remember him saying. She killed herself. She shot herself. We were we were riding four-wheelers, and things were good, and she got really, really drunk. And I got in the truck, and I don't know what the fuck the four-wheeler is, but she was, like, bleeding and shit. You know, I heard something sound like a fucking firecracker and fucking just, like, took off in my truck and come back here. So story number two has just been established. He is now saying that he was at Jamie's loading the ATV onto his trailer when he heard a firecracker and gets into the truck and it's smoky. And then he rushes to his house. The only reason that he starts to explain that version of events is because Jay Cates ends up saying that it happened somewhere else. So then Sartain, realizing that it didn't happen here, which he thinks has already been established through Jeff's first story, then starts to question him about where it actually happened. When I heard that, I wanted to say, wait, what? Did he just change his story right in front of us? Yeah, and it doesn't seem to spark anything in Sartain. It's just like, oh, okay, well, moving right along. But one of the things that bothers me so much about that version is that if you were loading the ATV and secure, making sure that it was secure and then heard a firecracker or what, or something of a non-urgent matter, why wouldn't you have finished securing the ATV before you got into the truck to drive away? Because later we find out that he loses the ATV on the road because it wasn't properly secured. Well, what prevented him from properly securing it if he thought that what he heard was a firecracker. Would he have changed his story if Jay Cates didn't tell Sartain about the other scene? So y'all were loading up, and that's when you heard the, what you thought was a firecracker. Yeah. Saw. I didn't see a flash. No, I had my back to the truck, and everything was trapping the four-wheeler down into the room. I was, I was that because it was his partner next to him shop and it like echoed off of it and I was looked around what the hell is that I just thought it was some of the people out there playing around in the version prior to this he says that he rushed home right he got in the car and he was rushing and in this version it sounds like he strapped down the side by a side and got in the truck and that it was smoky so she was concerned of you talking to Natalie. So what started this tonight? Yeah, but she went in with some stuff about fucking cared and bothered me. She started in with that. She's like, you turned your back on me and da 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 da. And talked to her to 
ask her something, you know, you know right. pissed her off. Well, is this all out there having a good time talking and shit? And they was telling me she shot herself. I don't understand that. Basically, how it went down, I hope she's okay. Because she was, I mean, everything was cool. Yeah. I mean, it was, but he's all hanging out, bullshitting around. Them two were getting along just better than you can imagine. I mean, they were, you know how a couple is aggressively fuck with each other and everything was great. As great as everything is going. Why would they, why would she do that? I mean, as far as I can tell, they expect them to get down and do their deal and bone out. And the next thing I know, he's telling tell me that she shot herself, she killed herself. And I, I don't understand why she would have done that. Because, I mean, that two were holding hands, he's playing with the titties, he's throwing up the coochie and all this, and they were making out and shit. And that, I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, it wasn't like they were pissed off with each other or nothing. It was just, I mean, it was like, yeah, they're just to go out in the woods and fuck in a second, you know? All right. CJ's saying everything's great. Jeff's saying they're fighting and she's jealous. So what is it? Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making Just keep her, it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude. Stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans in- engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Bravo, bros. Good job. Yeah, we were on a four-wheeler ride. Everything was probably good, you know, and... uh Natalie walked up and like her and her husband were out there and I turned my back to Danny to talk to Natalie and she got mad and we were you know it's like you thought you would walk over here you were playing on your phone and she uh to the other end and talked to CJ and Jamie and you know uh messed around you know, talking and stuff and you know intoxicated but she started stumbling and kind of falling I was like oh it's time to go home and I got on the side by side and down to Jamie's, and uh, we argued on it going back that way. I never get the ramps out, drove it up on there, uh, killed it off with her. You know, I buckled the seat all the way back so she could lay back, and I was strapping my forward, and it, it's a hell. I was like, the hell was that? You know, which there's people out there, you know, there's people on the and there was. Like CJ was leaving, called him on the phone, talking, you know, got in the truck. I was talking to him, and it was kind of almost like smoky. I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, I told CJ, I was like, can Danny just shot herself? In all of the narratives that we've received um, in our open records request, we have a narrative written by Officer Donnie Valerie, Officer James Rachel, Officer Scott Sartain. None of them are in Jeff's words or his handwriting it's them writing their narrative 
based on what Jeff told them, we have no written statement that Jeff ever wrote himself about the version of events that happened. It's always in somebody else's interpretation of what Jeff told them. When you take courses on death investigations, you are told to let the witnesses write out what they saw, heard, and what they actually witnessed. You as a police officer or as an investigator are not supposed to write it out because it goes through your filter and what you think they are saying. So everything had been fine up until tonight? No, we, and things have been kind of rocky and we had fought forth and argued, but nothing super bad or whatnot. So Kaysen tells him how it started. And he agreed with her. However, the people in the community have reached out and said Natalie was a mom and Dingany knew her daughter. Jeff's trying to establish the motive for why Danny shot herself. But CJ doesn't yet know that. Was Jeff talking to anybody in particular. Well, when we went to Billy Martin's house, uh, he talked to Natalie and he talked to some other girl. And they were just general conversation because, you know, they've been yeah. friends all their life. They yeah, Natalie and you know the other girl? No, nah, I can't remember. It might have been Monica he was talking to. Okay. Pretty sure it was Monica. Monica and Natalie he was talking to? Yeah. You know where uh, Danny was at that time? Was she by herself? Uh, she might have been over there by herself. Okay. I mean, I'm not real sure. I just, okay. I meander around. Okay. God um, forbid, I hope she don't die. Well. If she does die, then I guarantee I'll probably be in court. Well. And I hope to God she don't. You know what's so interesting is he says, I hope she doesn't die. But according to Jeff, she's already dead. She shot herself. She killed herself. I didn't think she was going to do anything like that. So we have Jeff implying that Danny was jealous because he was off talking to Natalie. But we have Danny's phone records. We have her call logs. We have her text messages. We have her photos. Jeff wasn't the love of Danny's life. Jeff wasn't the only guy that Danny was going out with. He wasn't the only guy she was dating. Even that night, there are messages, text messages and Snapchat messages to another guy. Jeff was not the love of her life. So why would she kill herself that night? She had no motive to. Why would she be jealous? But that goes to, would Jeff be jealous? Also, based on the phone records, it paints a different picture about who might be jealous of whom. So first we have Jeff telling the 911 operator that he was opening the door to get her in. He then tells Officer Sartain he got out of the truck to unlock the door of the house after coming back here. He tells Jay Cates that Danny shot herself. Jay Cates then tells Officer Sartain that it happened elsewhere where the ATV fell off the trailer. Sartain then tells Jay Cates, oh, I thought it happened here. Asks Jeff again, where did this happen? And he says, I think at Jamie's house. So Jeff tells Kathy Kaysen that Danny was jealous because he was talking to Natalie 
But here we have CJ telling Officer Rachel and in his interview with Roy Barker that everything was just great. They were ready to go off. We then hear from several witnesses and people in town that have reached out to us, reiterating the story that they heard and that Jeff had personally told them. There's more than three versions of the story. And we have the phone records that dispute what Jeff says about jealousy. I know this episode will make you very upset. The best thing to do is to help Danny Smith and be a voice for her. Come forward and tell us and give us the information. We keep everything anonymous. We have gathered so much information and we appreciate everyone who has stepped forward. The bigger the voice, the larger the result. Catherine and I talk a lot about investigative differences. However, we both agree on following the protocols, documenting pictures, notes, who's at the scene, and the witnesses to document what they saw. Sheila and I are going to just spend a few minutes kind of talking about the overview of the case, a little insight into how we do our investigations, what we look for, how we believe it should go. We use the training and the hours and hours of education that we get every year. We want the public to know what's missing. It is the right of the public to expect the police to do their job. But sometimes you don't know what their job is. We want to educate you on what to look for, the pictures, the documents, the evidence, the bullet, the hole, all of that. What's missing? You should be asking your police department respectfully, where is the evidence? And how many other cases have gone this way that shouldn't have? The audience may not know what to expect from police officers when they arrive on the scene. If there's no bullet and no hole, that would classify as suspicious death. You need the evidence of a bullet. You need the evidence of a hole. It's a blatantly suspicious case. What is fascinating to me and will always be fascinating is the fact that here's Jeff changing his stories. The police see there's no bullet. They take pictures of a casing that you've got to wonder how it got there. And there's no hole and the blood spatter, which we haven't gone into. That alone should have made it a suspicious death. And the protocol should have been, and it's across the country taught this way, that they take detailed notes. They get information from all the witnesses. The witnesses write it down or you videotape it. And then you have the documentation. If this was a suicide, the police should be able to sit down with Danny's family and exactly tell them how it happened. One thing that we were told is that Chief Deputy Roy Barker showed up the next day at the hospital and said there has been a lot of suicides in that county. 
what I'd like to do is get the records of how many suicides were there and how many cases were investigated the same way Danny's was. I know. It doesn't it make you want to dig into everything that's ever been ruled a suicide? Mm-hmm. It does. You know, we know the manner of death. She died by gunshot, but we don't know how it happened. Right. The investigator should be able to tell us now how it happened. Yeah, it's just mind-blowing to me that Jeff gives one story and then in the same hour to, to one officer and then in the same hour gives a different story to that exact same officer and somehow that's not enough to raise any eyebrows or maybe shift gears. Okay, maybe we started off believing him and it was a suicide. But the second that that second story came into play, it should have shifted the entire course of the investigation. And you would think that if nothing else, that they would then realize that we need to maybe better document the scene. Maybe we need to take more pictures. Maybe we need to do more follow-up, ask more questions, secure the only living individual at the time. More often than not, a death that is considered suspicious will be more than obvious. Don't you think that is a true statement for this particular case? I absolutely agree. That's kind of my point. Not only is there two different stories from Jeff, and I know we keep on harping on that, but it's so mind-blowing, especially when you listen to them put together like the way that we did in this episode, which I find it, it just accentuates it even more somehow, right? So you've got you've got two stories in almost the same breath, it seems. And then and then you move on, and if that's not enough, you have a quote-unquote suicide without a hole in the car of a woman's head that was described as completely blown out and no bullet in the vehicle in which she supposedly shot herself. There are numerous things that should have triggered some sort of further investigation. That, And again, it's just mind-blowing to think that we don't have any of that stuff. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Investigations you have 48 hours to do a thorough job. And that's why they have shows that are called First 48, because that's when the statements are fresh, the people have good memories. Now, in the 911 call, I think Jeff had problems with that from it happened here to Jamie's, and then the ATV situation came up. Generally, you'll get the best information within the first 48 hours. Right. And you're also preventing people involved, potential suspects and and others involved 
to formulate their story and, and take time to think about what they might want to say? I think 911 calls are my all-time favorite thing. And if your state is trying to outlaw the benefit of them, you should fight the legislators tooth and nail because that's the most accurate information. If you listen, you will hear what really happened. I think that it's just basic human instinct to need to understand how a death unfolded, especially a suspicious one. When there's more than one person at the scene, especially, you're not just going to take, you know, it at first glance and call and rule it a suicide, especially when you're given differing stories at the crime scene. Another thing that obviously is really important, maybe the most important after collecting evidence is your interview skills. How we interview every party involved is how you're going to get the most information that's the most authentic and beneficial to really understanding how something like this could have unfolded. What we see with Jeff and Sartain in the first few minutes of Sartain arriving is a narrative already starting to unfold. It's conducted by Jeff. And the follow-up questions, there were no follow-up questions. Nothing was directed. It was kind of willy-nilly. What you're saying about Sartain is he didn't hear what he was saying and then follow up on it. That's important when you're doing interviews is to ask the question, hear what they're saying, and then follow through. Okay, he said they were here. One of the things that one of our investigators does is when people say there's a scene, he always pulls out his notebook and says, draw it. And he will get the witnesses to draw exactly where they were. So when he said Jamie's house, our investigator would have pulled out his little notebook and said, draw exactly where at Jamie's house you were. Yeah. Aside from being visual like that, which is of course going to be really helpful. And it also, if that person's lying, they're going to have a hard time drawing it. That could also be extremely telling. But for me, the way that I begin any interview, really, especially since my brain works in this timeline fashion. So I start from the beginning. I might start by asking what happened and let them talk the whole way through. Okay. And then I already, and if I have the ability to jot down notes. I'm taking one word notes so that I I know I have a million questions and there's no way I'm going to remember them all. So I'll write one word that's going to trigger the memory linked to that question. I'm asking what happened. And then I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm going to fill in all the holes. And there's so many holes in story number one. And then story number two comes out. And then there's even more holes. And there's no questioning at all whatsoever. They're not open-ended. They're suggestive. You don't even really have to be an investigator to know that that's not proper. (laughs) Well, and I was taught differently. It's interesting that you started at the beginning because I started at the end and worked backwards. Who can lie backwards? Oh, I like that. I was taught by an LAPD cop. That's how they do it. Because you can remember what you said forward because you said it, 
But if you have to go backwards, well, we went from here to here to here, you can't remember. What if the person is dyslexic? What if they have issues with timeline or maybe they're of diminished capacity and then you think they're lying, but they just don't have the recall ability? I want to hear how someone tells a story the way they're going to tell the story first. As I start to hone in and ask the follow-up questions, it's going to exploit the lies. I think that that to me is a more authentic way of getting information. I'm also not trying to trip people up in lies as much as you might be because of the way that we come at investigations from a slightly different angle. I am somebody with dyslexia. If I lived it, I can tell you every detail. If I didn't live it, I can't. If you live something, if you walk through it, it's not hard to recall it in your brain, even if you're dyslexic. But if there is some sort of learning difference or diminished mental state, that doesn't matter. The evidence will support whatever you're saying. True. To me, I think in this situation, I don't think that Jeff had a story ironed out. Clearly, he didn't have a story ironed out. That's why he gave two in the first 10 minutes. But what's so frustrating is that they had the opportunity right there to really hammer home what actually happened and they didn't. They didn't try to get the details of, well, which one was it? I initially thought you said it happened here. You very clearly said you were right over there unlocking the door when it happened. Why is he not being called on that if the second story is true? And why is he telling the second story if the first one's true? And no one is questioning that at all throughout this entire investigation. When the keys were handed to Jay Cates, wouldn't you have said, wait, I thought you were unlocking the door. You just handed the keys off. Were you unlocking the door? It was, something should have triggered. And again, it's within the first 48 hours. They should have gotten things nailed down. They it's should have the two, the first two hours. Exactly. Well, yeah, or hour. If it's five or 10 minutes, he was out there. The thing that fascinated me today was listening to it again and hearing Jeff say the 911 operator told me to take her out of the truck. We can look at the pictures and determine how she was taken out of the truck based on her blood. Can we? Blood pattern. Oh, yeah, I think you can. But it could also be. If she was not shot in the truck, that she was put in the truck in the blood pattern. Oh, yeah. So that's a good point. Don't just assume that it's one way, right? Exactly. So you should be able to, based on the blood spatter, determine the way she was taken out of the truck. If she wasn't shot in the truck, if she was put in the truck after being shot, then at least exploring every possible option. Because again, just because someone said that she was shot in the truck, obviously the evidence to us is saying that she wasn't. So we have to assume that there's potential for her to be placed inside of the truck after being shot, which then would kind of muddy up the argument about her being taken out and that being blood pattern from the removal as opposed to pl placement inside the truck. 
So what we're saying is blood spatter is physical evidence that helps determine what happened in the truck. Right. And we don't have evidence to support that there was, despite the fact that there's no hole, no bullet, there also is a lack of what we, what we can't determine from the pictures is that there isn't blood spatter to support that, that the shot happened inside the truck. Questions that I, you know, were asked, but also were directed by narrative. Was she suicidal? When Jeff was asked that, he said, no. Again, if you want to support even, okay, even if you're not doing an investigation and you want to support that it was a suicide, you would think that in, in support of that finding or the conclusion that you want to draw, you're going to need to find evidence to support it, i.e. talking to her family, understanding the history of Danny Smith. You need to know who this girl is before you determine that she just willy-nilly shot herself in a vehicle because Jeff said she did. There's no record of Danny being in the hospital beforehand. There's no record of Danny trying to commit suicide prior to this. Danny kept diaries. And what's interesting is, did the police get those diaries or who actually got them and when and who allowed that to happen? Catherine, what you're saying is the police should do some digging and support one theory or the other. The more that the police do their job, the more they can support either suicide or homicide. Especially in a case like this, this this didn't have to be so complicated for us. That's the thing. We should have, if you know, we just by chance wanted to take a look at a case, we could have taken all of the information that we've gotten, all of our FOIA, all of the public records, and it made complete sense of it. This shouldn't have been so difficult. This isn't a complicated case. No, it's not. Usually in cases, I will have a division where one person's really supporting the victim and one person is really supporting the person that was with the victim. In this case, I have only had support for Danny. That's it. You know, I think the bottom line is you and I are investigators. We look at crime scenes and reenactment all the time. We usually can put together what happened. And if we can't, then you start looking at the actual investigation. It appears that none of the police officers were there for Danny Smith and obtained the evidence that was blatantly obvious or notated what was missing. In the next couple of episodes, you are going to hear Chief Deputy Roy Barker's interview with CJ. You're also going to hear more about the text messages between Jeff and Danny. Mm. 
the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.